keep Rayman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital to pledge. Warning from the back to tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. Workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a medical droid to help and heal you and I am a Jedi, like my father before me. All right, hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. This is the Bad Batch edition. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, but our preferred place is iTunes, where you can give us five-star ratings as well as reviews. And every time you do that, it does help us pop up on those charts. It triggers the algorithms that we need in order to get seen by more people. So please do so. All right, today we are discussing... The Bad Batch, episode 13, titled Infested, directed by Saul Reese, written by Amanda Rose Munez. And I'm in the studio today with David and Lauren. Hello. Hello there. Hello. Okay, so this episode has created quite the disgruntled Star Wars fans. It's probably the first episode where people were kind of complaining about it. And I would say, listen. Possibly the simplest of the 13 episodes released so far. Oh, easily. Yeah, definitely. But it's not uh, yeah. gripe worthy. It's not gripe worthy. I think like most it's of not the bad. It's just not relevant necessarily. Most of the most of the most of the criticism I've been seeing is people been saying like, oh, it's another quote unquote standalone episode. Yeah. And yeah. it's a, it feels like a filler episode. But the one thing that I've always felt up to this point now is like. For the longest time since Clone Wars started, right, one of the biggest criticisms of Clone Wars that will pop up every now and then yeah. is we'll run into an episode that is a quote-unquote filler episode. But then, you know, like, Filoni and crew will later on take stuff from right. that filler episode, and then it'll add on to the series later or even into another series. Yeah, of course. And... That's what I felt like in the very end while uh, after this, well, it does feel like a filler episode. I'm like going, there's a lot of stuff still kind of subtly going on with this episode because Filoni is just still building out this time frame of Bad Batch. Yeah. So he's adding on to the universe and I'm like going, he's going to come back to Roland. Right. I feel like the casual viewer, you know, let's say my older brother. Okay. He might view this episode as a filler episode, but I would agree with you, Dave. Possibly it can be considered a filler episode. However, I'm more inclined to agree with you, Dave, because there's, there's, there's implication there. Yeah. Like it may not be entirely overt. Relevant right now, overtly relevant, but just as you mentioned, you know, 
Baloney usually has plans on top of plans. And of course, with the introduction of this new character, there were some minor allusions to a potential reoccurring character, Roland Durand. Yes. And the infighting between the crime syndicates, which include the Pikes. Yep. And that's actually big. That's a big deal. And it I, is. I, I feel like some t- people might forget. Also, a lot of people slept on Solo, where a lot of this was actually yep. uh, fleshed out. As we know, the, the crime syndicates right now are divided. Yes. Until Maul brings them together, at least at some point, because there were hints at that in Solo and a couple comic books. Yeah. So, to me... Yes, you may look at it in first glance and say, yes, you know, this is a filler. But when you when you realize we're dealing with the crime syndicates and how the final season of Clone Wars left us with Maul Mm -hmm. setting up the crime syndicate story, suddenly I get excited because where's Maul? Exactly. What's he up to? And I have a feeling that we're going to end up seeing him in this show, especially if we continue to go down this this road with the syndicates it and, only and, makes sense and the and the intriguing part for me too is also bringing back the the faction of the pike syndicate because not only not only do the pikes is it a callback to to solo but it's a callback to also uh the final season of clone wars with ahsoka because well that's what i said they there was a reason why a he reason. decided to include that exactly and like when you get to the to to this moment in time for star Wars, we mean you have been discussing about this in nauseum about how like baloney is trying to bring back star Wars underworld. It seems bring back the, 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 the underbelly, you know, by bring stories, the seedy like, underbelly. Yeah. Like the bounty hunters doing more bounty hunter stories, doing more crime syndicate centered stories. And that seems to be his like, fixation for this time period well okay so if people remember a few months back it was leaked that it might have been longer than that that lucas's entire strategy for his sequel trilogy included darth maul as the main villain yeah and that's why he had resurrected him in clone wars and that's why filoni started working on things and of course that didn't happen, but the crime syndicates was supposed to be a part of that was supposed to be a part of his rise to power because the whole idea was he was going to become the phantom menace. And that's who he was the entire time he got exiled by Palpatine, but here he is coming in with that power vacuum and he is slowly building his army up. Unfortunately, we're probably never going to get there. However, with what you mentioned, Dave, with Filoni and working on the underbelly, you know, the criminal side of things, the bounty hunters, I have a feeling that we're going to get a version of that. It may include Maul partially. Obviously, we know he dies in Rebels, but there can be someone else that picks up that torch, if you will. But you have the Mandalorian, you have all of those things going on. You have connections that are rumored to start happening uh, in those shows, as well as the FET series. Yes. So I have a feeling that, yes, Lucas's overall idea of pertaining to Maul might be dead. Oh, yeah. However, but- the idea of it, we all know that Lucasfilm, despite the fact that they had, uh, you know, took a shit on Lucas after they purchased uh, his baby. Mm-hmm. But we know that they continue to 
go into that Rolodex and pull all of his ideas. They just are reworking them. Yeah. And like the one thing that I really like that they have continued kind of like this thread throughout all of Star Wars and Solo was trying, trying to show that the crime syndicate that Maul is ruling over, there's multiple people under him. I mean, he was, he had Dryden Voss and, you know, he willingly kills, you know, gets rid of Dryden Voss so that Kira can actually take his place. I would do that too. Very easily. I'm like, Kira, you can, you can work <laughs> side by side. In fact, you can be the boss if you want. I'll listen to you. Go ahead. <laughs> and then that's why I was like, even, even thinking to myself that I'm, I don't know if Maul is going to be present in Bad Batch, but I think we're setting up for maybe a new series, maybe in a year or two. Yeah. That's going to deal with the Crimson Dawn. Because, dude, if you oh, look at... of course. No, that's going to happen. It, it has to they're happen. Not gonna leave, they're not going to leave us hanging the way they did with Solo forever. They're oh, going yeah. to they're gonna have to bring that back. That would be the worst thing ever in ever. history. That's the, that's the worst. That's worse than, you know, fade to black for Sopranos season finale. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, again, the reason why we're talking about this, we're not off topic. People need to be patient, and yes, it may feel like a filler when it comes to the bigger story of Bad Batch, but the bigger story of Star Wars, this is relevant. They're they're moving pieces around the board. I think filler as a term gets a bad rap to begin with because, like, yeah, there's sometimes filler that feels out of place or just feels like a joke or something like that, particularly with anime i think anime has a lot of tropes and a lot of tendencies to have filler episodes where it's just like they just go to the beach or something like that and it's very typical but when we see filler in stuff like the clone wars or bad batch usually there's something there that's interesting and fleshes out the universe more yes um sometimes in the clone wars you know it was just r2 and C-3PO going off on an adventure by themselves. And okay, sure, fine. Maybe that's the kind of filler that you think is a little out of place or not as exciting. And that I get. But not all filler episodes are like that. And and it doesn't always need to be an insult to call an episode filler. Because, yeah, this this kind of was a filler episode. But at the same time, it's not like it was irrelevant. Sid's become one of the main characters of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like a B character. and. This is, it showed how good Omega is at tactics, too. Like, no, that was the last episode, right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It it showed how, like, how the team can come together. it's, It's not like there was nothing there. Yeah, because it continued the story of Omega, even because we got to see her actually make a moral choice. And tried mm-hmm. to influence the team in the end and say that, no, there's there's other ways of handling things than just simply taking orders as a soldier. You know, like, it's about doing the right thing. And yeah. that's that was my couple of my favorite moments in this episode was, like, it really hammers home the point that the Bad Batch are are not as mature as Omega because their whole life 
they have been developed to be soldiers, to be, you know, like we follow orders, don't ask questions, we get the job done. I get maturity might not be the right word. Possibly um, they're used to following orders and having a, a reason to do stuff, whereas now they're finding that they have to come up with their own strategies and plans opposed yes. to working for I'd the say- Republic. Yeah. I'd say maybe emotionally well-rounded yeah. is, is a good way of phrasing that, that. That'd probably be the better way of saying well, it. Well, they were one-dimensional soldiers that didn't need to worry about mm-hmm. anything. They didn't mm-hmm. need to worry about kids. They didn't even need to know uh, worry about the morality of the war. They were programmed, or I should say created, to fight under the Republic. Now, suddenly, you have people who were built for one reason— Finding out that the world is a lot more complicated than they had originally thought. Mm-hmm. Well, and they also were taught to think in terms of, you know, yes, loyalty was very yeah. important to them, yep. but it was always like us versus them, mm-hmm. you know, and like us includes the people that they're trying to protect at the time. You know, it's their fellow soldiers and it's whoever they're fighting for and them is anyone else outside of it and if they had to choose between someone who they didn't know where their allegiances lie and one of their brothers in arms it's going to be one of it's going to be their brothers in arms every single day of the week yeah yeah but i do like what they're doing with omega quite a bit like every time we find something new about her find out something new about her it just it really works there's there's something that that Filoni and his team always do with with these um, female leads. I, I, I hate that word female leads. I wouldn't even say female the leads. Reason, well, the reason why I say that, I have a point here. The reason why I say female lead is because a lot of Star Wars fans are taken to task by overly, you know, do-gooders on social media that say we only like this, this, and that because we're yeah. misogynistic. That's why we don't like the sequel trilogy that much, and we didn't care for Ray. And I always point to all of the ladies in Star Wars that people always rally behind, and not just Ahsoka, but Mara Jade, and now Omega, and of course Princess Leia. Yeah, there's a way you write characters that you you want them to become endearing. You want the fans to rally behind them because of their their qualities as a character. We want to find a reason to rally behind them and root for them. And yeah. they always find that little thing that makes us love these characters. And in just one season, 13 episodes, I mean, I'm sold on Omega. I really like yeah. what she's doing, mm-hmm. with what they're doing with her on this show. I mean, she's become the conscience of the bad batch essentially teaching them how to think differently look at things differently not always look at things uh, necessarily like a soldier i mean she's brought so many people together and i really like that it shows her goodness yes. which goes right to what you said lauren it, it makes me wonder however because that's how i am if this has something to do with how <laughs> she was cloned and if it will have a bigger meaning later i mean obviously omega is a big deal at some point it's going to come through what she's all about because we still don't know what she really is about yes she is the last pure what dna is that what it was the last pure specimen specimen yeah the last pure sample yeah or whatever yes the last pure sample yes that's fine but that (laughs) is way you know anticlimactic they have built this character up so much that it's going to end up being something a lot more relevant. And I think it's going to be something 
pretty big. And it makes you wonder, like, is this all a part of it? Did, is, is she good and pure for a reason? Did they design her that way? Did they view the original clones as slightly flawed because they were lacking emotion? I'm, I'm wondering. Because isn't there a contrast here, like a, a definite contrast between her and the other clones? Oh, yes. Emotionally, yeah. emotionally. and mentally. Yeah, absolutely. And especially how she affects the other clones. Because remember, I mean, she even she even has a, 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 a way of talking to the clones and getting them to understand You're right. things. She reasons with them. She reasons with them. And at first I was like thinking, oh, it's only the clones. But in this episode, we get we actually see it's just not the Bad yeah. Batch that's affected by her. It's also other people like Sid. I mean, my favorite moment in uh again one of the one of the best moments in the episode was like when the pikes come in and literally tell the bad batch you're going to get the spice back here's what we're going to ho- hold hostage and they decide to hold uh Sid. oh no they decide to hold omega first oh, oh yeah yeah remember and then mm-hmm. not only does the bad batch suddenly you know, get really defensive, but Sid gets defensive. Even some of the patrons get defensive. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. Like she, she has, she has one of those things, those characteristics that people just like. She, everyone yeah. likes her, and I feel like you don't write a show like that and and continually stress that. Mm-hmm. I mean, look how she connected to Hera. Look how she was yeah. able to get people to help yeah. her. There's a reason why they're showing her to be very. Um, and once diplomatic isn't the word, but she just has a charisma. Enigmatic. There, there we go. Yeah. I mean, there's something there that makes um likable to people. People are drawn to her. Drawn to her. She, there we go. That's the word gets, I'm looking for. Yeah, she she finds allies everywhere she goes because she's she's likable. She's friendly. She has a good energy to her that people find they can relate to. She seems really empathetic and caring. Yeah. Um, when someone's in trouble, she wants to comfort them and help them. She wants to kick some ass, but she, you know, she's she cares about how people are doing and what can she do? What can the Bad Batch do to help them? Because that's what they should be doing. And Everything's in disarray right now. So what can they do to make it better? And exactly. And that came through with how she... Everything you just said came through in this episode with how she dealt with not only Sid and, you know, convincing the Bad Batch to help her out, but also the bad guy of the episode, air quotes here, Roland. The fact that yes. she befriended him. Mm-hmm. In the very end. By the by the end of the episode, there was a rapport there. And the amazing, <laughs> the amazing thing to me about Omega as a character at this point is like... I remember when we first started, so many people, including myself, questioned <laughs> yeah. this character, basically another child, yeah. another child character. And this episode really kind of encapsulates the, the, the magic that Maloney and his writing staff have with creating these types of characters. And how she's very different than and, any other character. Any seen. other character. Yeah. I mean, I when I look at Omega now... I look at and I look at like at a character like Ezra, who was the last you know childlike character that we ever uh, grew up with in a in a series for Star Wars. They're completely different, but they're also very charismatic and well 
developed. Yeah, well, characters. I'll be honest. I didn't like Ezra until the second season. I was oh, yeah, like, absolutely. He was this little fucking punk. He was a punk in the very first, <laughs> but it made sense, though, because remember no, the one did. thing we, not, we, we kept saying is, like, he's so hate. He's so irritating. He was just douchey. He was douchey. Yeah. He was a little kid that you want to smack around. <laughs> yeah, I I never had a problem with how they wrote his character. It, that was fine. I was like, look at this guy. <laughs> he doesn't deserve his powers. <laughs> he doesn't deserve this. Yeah. So, alright, so we mentioned the new bad guy, I guess you can call him, introduced at the end of the episode, Roland Durand. Now, obviously, we're going to see him again. That's a given, especially when you look at how the episode ended. Now, these are completely new characters, as well as this crime syndicate that we've never heard of Isa Durand. Isa Durand. Now, I'm not sure if she's a part of a crime syndicate or she has a crime syndicate, but they did call her the crime boss. They didn't say of what syndicate, but they did say Durand. Yes. So... I don't know who this character is. However, we may end up finding out that this is yet another. Yeah, another syndicate, possibly. So easily. easily. All right. So this is the official first appearance. What we know is very. Very spotty here. Here, I have the wiki up. Isa Duran was a female crime boss active during the Empire's era. She was Roland Duran's mother. While under Pike's custody, Roland reflected while talking to Omega about his family's way of taking what they wanted, a tactic which Roland claimed that Isa had perfected. Okay, so that's all we know. This is the very first episode, and obviously we're going to see them again. Yes. And I'm okay with that. I actually liked Roland, and I had a feeling we were supposed to like him. Because what do I always talk about when you have animals in shows? (laughs) When you want the audience to instantly hate hate a character you have them hurt an animal hurt an animal kick an animal just just have disregard for an animal and you're gonna instantly make the audience hate that guy now you can also do the opposite how do you make the audience kind of like the guy even if we're not necessarily supposed to but you want to create you know the the complicated feelings within the audience make them be kind to an animal so the fact that he was Going after this creature that was his pet. I was like, okay. (laughs) They're putting a lot of emphasis on this. They're trying to make us like the guy. Yeah. And that was the whole point is kind of like, yeah, he, he, he has that, you know, smuggler mentality. Yeah. And he's part of the, you know, scum and villainy of the Star Wars universe. But you have to at least give him something that we can all gravitate towards. And I'm sorry, you're right. Who cannot relate to a guy that just cares for his pet? Yeah. Whether it's a pet cat, a pet dog. Yeah. If someone hurts an animal in a TV show, I will never like that character again. All right. So this does bring us to our final thoughts. Let's uh, throw it over to you, David. Final thoughts and RMD score. Uh, My RMD score for this one, it started off low, but then as I started thinking about it and actually, um, really thinking how this is just another quote unquote tactic that is very familiar in clone wars and rebels and something that Filoni is infamous for it started going up. So I gave this one an 85. Um, I love the, I, I like the character introduction of Roland at first. I thought he was going to be a really, really, Oh, he's going to be the villain, a uh, major villain, but no, 
by the end of it, you kind of do get the sense that because of Omega, this this would-be villain is going to turn into an ally. And also the fact that this also introduces more elements that I've been really, really hoping that Star Wars delves more into, which is the crime syndicates. Yeah. I mean... They're, so, not, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, uh, you have to... For me, that's the that's the best area for Star Wars for them to dive into. You saw the success with with Mandalorian because they jumped into the bounty hunter element. You saw the success of a lot of like they the, were banking on those Mando bros. Yeah, you saw the success of some of their comics. I mean, me and you have covered bounty hunters, and it's one of the most popular comics out there right now. So, honestly, I'm the really 85. excited to see what it is. What we're going to get in the future. All right. 85%. Lauren. Um, I'm going to go with an 80%. I think, um, I, I liked it and I like the potential of, of what it can set up with, you know, the crime syndicates, Crimson Dawn mall, et cetera. And I think that, um, I think that gives us a lot to look forward to. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. It, it was a good episode. It was fine. Um, 80% is a perfectly respectable score. Wasn't my favorite. Wasn't my least favorite. I mean, it was it was good. It was fine across okay. the board. <laughs> All right. So an 80% from Lauren. I'm right in between. I'm giving this an 83%. I felt like the episode was written adequately. It was exactly what it needed to be. It was the calm before the storm. That's what they were trying to do. Here's a little breather because things are going to get crazy. In these final three episodes. Yeah. All right. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. I do want to remind people to check us out on iTunes. Give us our five-star ratings and review. We need those. It does, in fact, help. You may think I'm just saying that, but it does, and we need it. Thank you, because I'm going to quit shows if you don't. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, yes. (laughs) 